So we are Psalm 23. Six verses, six weeks. One verse per week made an invitation to the whole church this summer, whether you're here in person or online or away. And in particular, I've recommended a book, a book that's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. I emailed that out to everyone in church this week. It's the most stunning look at Psalm 23 by someone who was a shepherd. And I've been looking forward to going through this psalm with you for many months this summer. I'm going to do it one verse per week. And we've had a reset series, shared a word with the church that's gone through many churches nationally about the idea of reset and a simple image that with, if you've got one of these, that sometimes you have to do a hard reset to get it to work. And that God is calling his people for a hard reset, that he wants our preferences to be changed and he wants to reset us. Now, some of us are up for that and some of us maybe want certain bits of our life where that reset happens and not others, but that's the invitation. And we've had this great series going through a bunch of the most amazing Psalms and now we get to the final um, of those Psalms in this series, but for a mini-series, The Lord is My Shepherd, this most famous of Psalms, the ultimate reset Psalm. It's one of the most well-known Psalms. We've had a, an image, a, a picture from the story of God's people that we've shared over the last, over, over a year, and, and I keep hearing people mentioning it. It was the invitation to cross through the Red Sea, to travel as God's people together in the face of adversity, because he wants to bring us somewhere better, and that some of us in that journey are very tired and at the back, and some of us are at the front and are excited, but either way that we're to cross together. And it might be, the hope is, that we're nearing the shore and coming out of COVID. But it's, as we began this reset series, we looked at going through trauma, which COVID is. One of the ways some people are dealing with it is denial. Um, everybody at every level, every psych psychologist, sociologist, anthropologist, theologians, spiritual directors, are describing what we're going through. One of the things we have to do is come out of denial. This is a natural disaster emotion that the consequences of which we have yet to fully see and we can pretend it's not happening like the people of God did crossing the Red Sea I'd rather be back there where I knew what was happening and this is probably one of the most challenging times of all one of the most dangerous times because we're getting somewhere but we're tired anybody here tired put your hand up if you're tired and it's not a lack of faith to confess that you're tired Jesus himself, with a woman at the well, said, we're told that Jesus was weary. Anybody weary? If Jesus was weary, you can be weary. There's a lot of us that are weary. But there's a dangerous time where the enemy will capitalize on what's happening. And, and this psalm sits in a special place for God's people as we unpack it about his relationship with us and taking us through adversity and how he wants to care for us and tend us and warnings through it about the dangers that we face and the safest place to be. So, do you ever feel like turning on the news is a dangerous thing to do at the minute? Yeah? It is. The world is in turmoil. The world, the flesh, the devil. Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of the air, we're told in scripture. Don't be surprised at the manifestation of a world separated from God. 
And we dare to believe that Jesus is Lord. We dare to believe that Jesus says the kingdom of God at a moment like this is closer than the air you breathe. And that's what this psalm is about. This psalm is how we access that reality. So if you want to switch on something different this summer than all that chaos and noise, this psalm is for you. It's your inheritance to claim and to experience. And, and I really come as a, if, you, if this is your church, and I'm, and I'm with my wife as pastor of this church, I really come with a, as I try to discern this moment and not overdo it and not underdo it, there is a danger of missing out on what God is doing. For us to go through this. I have never gone through anything like this. Has anybody else? Some of you might have done if you lived in other times and places. But the danger of missing out and looking back and seeing what God was doing afterwards. Let me say that in a short way. Have some of you gone through life, not trusted God, but he still came through for you? Have you ever had those moments? A lot of you are nodding, because God, he's so gracious. And have you ever thought, I wish I trusted him more? Because it might have been better for me, and there might have been more for me. Well, uh, that's the same for moments like this. It's too late afterwards to say, I drew close to the Lord of creation in COVID. I got close to him when it was all over. We have a choice to find him. And this passage will help us about finding him and God's work at the minute. And, and last bit on this introduction here. How many of you remember life before COVID? Can anybody remember it? Yeah, it's hard to sometimes, isn't it? I'm, like, I'm looking out at a sea of people. It's like, oh, people. I just want to cancel the service and run around and talk to you all. I remember what it was like in London. What was the word that was on everybody's lips all the time? I'm so busy. I'm so tired. The relentless juggernaut of consumer life and time and commuting and commitments. And do any of you remember before COVID hit, it was there ever a time when you thought, I know I'm not who I could be in God. I know I'm not experiencing a relationship with Jesus that I see the Bible promise me. Did any of you feel like you were missing on what God had for you? Do you remember that? What if this that we're going through is the gift to release us into everything we have always wanted to be with the Lord? God is sovereign. He knows what we're going through. Just as he knows every plague, every war, every natural disaster. One of the things I've had to come to terms with over this year with many things is the Lord said to me, Jason, this is a gift. And we're going to see from this passage today how the worst that we go through for God's people can be his gift to us to release us into what he has for us. So my prayer for you, those watching online, those of you who are away on online, and those of you here, is that this summer you find rest, you find holidays and friends and family, but my greatest prayer, and it's the prayer for me, is that we find Jesus. More than we have ever known him. 
And I'm, I'm praying for you that those moments when you have been close to Jesus, I believe that we are going through what we're going through now because the Lord has those moments that have been precious and special to you. He has more of those, a deeper experience and a prolonged experience. There is a breakthrough. We go through moments like this in history so that we can get close to him and he can break through to us and care for us and love us. So three things, one verse. Even I can remember this without looking at my Bible. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. There is a, it's like we get hit over the head. One of the things shepherds do with sheep, by the way, is they have a rod and a staff. One of the things that they use the rod for is to smack sheep on the head. Stop it. Don't go there. They also use it to protect the sheep. There's three things and maybe with the rod of the shepherd that we see. Three things we're going to look at this morning. Lord, shepherd, lack. Bang, bang, bang. God wants to get our attention. Wants to get our attention. The Lord. The Lord. This is David, the psalmist who has spent his formative years as a shepherd, knows what it's like to be a shepherd intimately and knew what it was like to have, have amazing success and then have everything taken away from him. Absolutely everything. If, again, if you've been following this series in the Psalms, we looked at a point in David's life when, when he, his friends were against him, the people were against him, his, his enemies he'd recruited were against, everyone was against him. And David, in the midst of the highs and lows of life, begins here, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. The suspicion is from some commentators, what David is often doing here is, right, is written up for us the things that he spent a long time singing and that God was teaching him when he was a much younger man, that he had to relearn. And the issue is here, the Lord. It's such a strange term, isn't it? The Lord. Christians say it, don't they? The Lord. You know, if you go to work, how was work? It's great. How was the weekend? Well, I met the Lord. How'd that go down at the office? The Lord. I sound a bit like Eddie Izzard now, don't I, doing impressions of a Christian. Michael McIntyre, the Lord. The Lord God. The Lord. It's not a word that we use, is it, very often in everyday life? But it's a reality. The issue is, what is Lord of our lives? There is something Lord of our lives. Maybe we are Lord of our own lives, captains of our soul and our destiny. But scripture again and again and again brings up the issue of lordship. Lordship means what has authority, what has control, what has power, what do we give fealty to? What do we give into and say yes to on a regular basis? Because it has power over us and ownership over us. The things that are a reflex around us. So let me phrase lordship this way. So if the question is, who, who and what is Lord? You can be Lord of your own life or other people can be Lord of your own life. Your spouse can be Lord of your life. Your parents can be Lord of your life. Your boss can become Lord of your life. Peer pressure can become Lord of your life. Things, money, possessions, security, hurt, pain, tiredness. And where Lordship manifests itself is the way that we just automatically respond. 
what we say yes to, what we say no to, what we give in to. Right now, if we could, if we could bring you up one by one, and especially in this last year, one of the things I think the Lord's been doing, I've pastorally talking to people and I've known it myself, it's like he has been uncovering with our preferences. By the way, preferences is a word that we use for our lordship. What I prefer, the way I want it, the way I demand it, the way it should be. How many of those things has the Lord scraped away and we get down to the roots of what really has hold of us? If we could bring you up one by one and you were willing and able to talk about what has hold of you. Tiredness, fear, worries, money, relationships, so many things, uncertainty for the future. But in that place, it's hard to describe If you did this with me right now, does everyone, you know where your head is? If you think about your head, you know it's there, don't you? Oh, it's my head, that's where I think. Your heart, yeah? But your soul. The Bible talks about our soul being here, where our gut feeling is. Um, Psychologists and psychiatrists talk about attachments, and often they ask people doing therapy to say, where can you feel things in your body? Because what happens is our body expresses, but also is part of us. Our soul is, where is it? Often it's here. What's the thing here this year? Has it been disappointment? Has it been anger? Has it been worry? What is it? Anxiety. Has it been Jesus? Because this is the invitation. This is what David's saying. David is sitting there and declaring, the Lord. The place to start is, what rules here in me? So let's talk about Jesus as Lord. Not the Jesus that we know something about. How many of you know something about Jesus? How many of you believe something about Jesus, that he died and rose from the dead? Yeah? Lots of Christians believe that. But how many of you know in here, in the deepest part of who you are, that you are his? That you belong to him? that one word from him, all you can do is say, yes, Lord. Do you know him there? That's the invitation. And I tell you what, if before COVID, we had many false lords, a lot of them are being revealed now. And, you know, some of mine have been revealed over the year. I'll just finish on this Lord bit here. Um, I heard a good phrase from another pastor who did a talk that I heard. He said, lots of us want the kingdom without the king don't we? I love the kingdom. I want the rescue. I want the provision. I want, I, want all of, I want all of the goodies of the kingdom, but I don't want the king. The idea that I might be beholden to someone, responsible to someone. And again, do you see the irony? Here's one way to maybe think. How many of you can think of a friend? It's often hard to think of ourselves. How many of you know a friend who is completely attached to another lordship in their life, their boss, their job, their, their health, a relationship, their money. Some of you are nodding. You know people that live out of something that's got hold of them. We want the kingdom without the king. We want a savior, but not the Lord. I remember when I first became a Christian, I, came, I went in a good Baptist church. Do we have any other Baptists here? Once a Baptist, always a Baptist. 
And I remember one of the first sermons that I heard, that Jesus is Lord and Savior, not just Savior. Again, another way of saying, we want saving, but the Lord bit, that I might owe you something. God, strange, isn't it? Well, maybe you can be honest with the Lord about what's attached to you, and I hope you can. Um, and I have had to find my moments over the year. So what is Lord in your life? Second thing, the Lord is a shepherd. And again, the Bible pulls no punches here. So David is the Lord. What's Lord of your life? And by the way, it's a particular type of lordship. And he goes on to, if you want to know what it is to have the Lord as Lord of your life, he is a shepherd. Sounds nice and warm and fuzzy, doesn't it? But it's not. In fact, the whole of the Old Testament and then through the New Testament, this metaphor that before God we are like sheep is quite a shocking metaphor. Jesus uses this in John 10. And people are so angry with him. Angry with him first because he's laying claim to being the shepherd, but because he's calling them sheep. That's what this is. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I am a sheep. And this is such a strong metaphor. You and I are not sovereign beings who have the right to do whatever we want to do with our lives. This passage, Jesus in John 10, tells us that we are God's creation and that we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to their own way. And because of our selfishness, because of our lordship, God has laid the consequences of all that upon Jesus Christ. God sees us as sheep. And it means this, I think, that the sooner you and I adopt an identity that we are sheep and he is the shepherd, two things happen. Firstly, we align ourselves with the creator of the universe. It is the best way to come out of denial and go, I'm a sheep. Could you look at the person next to you and say, I'm a sheep? Do you feel any better? You probably would have felt better if you said, turn to the person next to you and say, you're a sheep. <laughs> sheep are stupid, stubborn, willful, walk off, do their own thing. Again, get the Philip Keller book about the shepherd in Psalm 23 and read what real sheep are like. Real sheep, when being taken to the best grass and pasture will run off and eat the crappiest, worst things for them, and the shepherd often has to whack them to say no. They follow each other like a herd of sheep. They do what's bad for them. They avoid what's best for them. What, Louis? Talking out loud. If we understand this, and, and in some ways... I mean what I said, we think this is a metaphor, because it is a metaphor, isn't it? But it is more than a metaphor. It is a spiritual and cosmological reality. Have you ever considered, have you ever done the, watched one of those TV programs that tries to show you how big the universe is and how old it is? I was watching something the other day that was trying to tell me that the speed of light is very slow. I'm like, well, it's the fastest thing in the universe. But given the size of the universe, the speed of light is actually very, very, very slow. And again, I was thinking, the universe is just huge. 
And God is more than that. And I put my TV on and the news. I can't cope with the news. And Brexit and whatever variant is coming next. And riots in South Africa and just endless disarray. Complexity out there, complexity here. And in the middle of it all, Scripture, David and Jesus himself have the audacity to say, there is a way to locate yourselves in the center of all of that. And that is for Jesus to be Lord and your shepherd. And he brings order to galaxies. He brings order to nations. He brings order to creation. I mentioned the other week, he reverses entropy and comes back from the dead. It's not just a metaphor. It's a way to live and to be and to sink into it and to experience it. Let me finish on the shepherd bit. One of the ways that a shepherd, um, again, modern sheep will, uh, a shepherd, they'll get pieces of plastic and they'll punch them through the ear of the sheep. Bit of pain, but then they've got a clip on them. Shepherds in the Old Testament, shepherds in the, in the ancient Near East, in, in, sorry, in the, in the Middle East in particular today, not the ancient Near East because that was ancient, but you know what I mean. Um, mark sheep's ears in the same way. Do you know how they do it? They get the sheep's ear and they get a knife and they cut their initials or their logo or their symbol. Pretty painful. And it scarifies, it leaves a permanent mark on the sheep. And Philip Keller in his book talked about the distress that he knew he was causing the sheep. But he had to have that mark on it so he knew which were his sheep. So that he could own them and look after them. A moment of scarification and pain. It's a beautiful little bit in the book he talks about. And we know about scars, don't we? What did Jesus do when he appeared to the disciples? He showed them his scars. There's a lot of pain at the moment. Don't be in denial about it. We can either resist it, run away from it, or we can let the Lord use it to write his name upon us. In fact, slaves in the Old Testament, some of you know this, when a slave was freed but decided to live with the people who had been their owners, and take up permanent residence with them. Do you know what they used to do? Do you know what they used to do? They put their ear lobe against the door and they would pierce it. Piercing it sounds like they got a nice gun from the jewelry store and went bang. No, they got a knife or a, a yule and a hammer and went bang. Skin, blood, scarring, belonging. Now, I know a lot about scarring because my wife had children. If you, and again, this is not, to, this is not a, to, to be inappropriate, but if you have had children, you carry around in your body the price of giving birth to something wonderful. My wife treasures her scars because they are about the thing that she loves the most. So again, brothers and sisters, there is a moment in this moment in history that we're in to either numb the pain, run away from the pain, come back after all of it, or say, pierce my ear, O Lord my God. Take this. Finish your work in me so that when this is all over, you'll see me 
as your sheep. The Lord, a shepherd. And the last one, the most audacious one of all. The Lord is my shepherd. I will lack nothing. How's that possible? I will lack nothing. Anybody got some lack in their lives at the minute? If I could put both my legs and arms up in the air at the same time, I would. But I'd fall over. What does that mean? I will lack nothing. Well, the, the word here, lack, actually means is, is, is around want. I will want nothing. And again, it's a good diagnostic, this passage, because if it shocks us, it's supposed to. Because somewhere along the line, human nature, stories from the world, we get to a place where we think, following Jesus, if I'm his sheep, I should not have any lack in my life. I should always be comfortable, always have a job, always be paid well, always get the holidays that I want, nothing go wrong, nothing happen to my family. Because if anything was to go wrong, that would be lack, wouldn't it? That is not what this passage means. People have taken this passage and other passages and perverted it into saying, God's like some cosmic slot machine. Make Jesus your shepherd and you won't lack anything. You'll always be rich, always be healthy, always be wealthy. That's a lie. What it means is this. If the Lord is your shepherd, you will have everything in your life that you were meant to and you will have everything in this life that you need, and you will have definitely more to come. I don't need to want anything. I was trying to think of an analogy for this. I remember when I was first dating my wife, before she was my wife. We were poor students with overdrafts and loans and enough money to occasionally buy half a pizza each at a restaurant using someone's travel card that we'd found out later was illegal to do, borrowing from one another. But if you'd said in that moment, sitting in that restaurant with the woman I was falling in love with, with half a pizza and a borrowed train ticket, did I lack anything? I lacked nothing. Because everything I wanted was there. When my daughter was born, my Anna Spanner, is she here? Oh, there she is. Anna was the first. They all sort of blurred together after a while. <clears throat> but you always remember, you remember the birth of your first child. You remember the not sleeping with your first child. You, you remember, they're a lot easier to remember. And I remember, we, we were, we had no money, no family support. I was trying to make a career in London. And I remember I was exhausted on the train, building a client bank. But I remember, like it was yesterday, the frisson of excitement in here that I got to go home and look over this cot and see this little ball of wonder. Oh, amazing. In that moment, I lacked nothing, which was good because at about one o'clock in the morning, I looked over the cot <laughs> and I was lacking a great deal of things, <laughs> including sleep and patience. <laughs> but is this making sense? If the Lord, if Jesus is our Lord, if he is our shepherd, if we love him and want him, then we lack nothing. We can't lack anything if what we want is him. The only way we lack in life is because we want something other than him. 
because we think we deserve something other than him. Because we don't, do you remember we looked at Psalm 51? The sin of David was not that he had an affair. The sin of David was that he got to a point in his life, the guy who wrote Psalm 23, where he had stopped believing that God was good. And he thought the world owed him something. He thought he lacked something. That's why he was most heartbroken. Lack is underneath everything. Lack. By the way, for you and I, if we were to take everything that you're struggling with, I bet you lack would be underneath it. Absolutely everything. I lack finances. I lack certainty. I lack something. There's usually, I lack health. I lack a relationship. I lack identity. I lack purpose. Lack is underneath everything. And we live in a world that through the internet, TV, billboards, stories it tells, the things it celebrates, will offer you anything and everything to deal with your lack. It will invite you to spend every penny that you have, and it will invite you to take money you don't have and take out loans for it. And it will invite you to take the mark and the brands that will give you something instead of lack and carry it around with you. Lack is underneath everything. And by the way, I want to talk about, we're nearly done. This is not about Christian denial, which is why I got lots of you earlier. I said, is anybody weary? I wanted us to practice a spiritual practice. Do the way Paul in in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, writing to the people that love him and care for him, we say, Paul, how are you? And Paul says, do you know what? We feared for our own lives and that we were going to die. That's how bad things are. But thanks be to Jesus Christ. See, this passage, this verse, is about lack in our lives from loving and desiring the wrong things. It is not about being honest with God about the pain and the suffering and the difficulties and the challenges in our life. That's not the same thing. Because the rest of the psalm goes on. Any of you remember the rest of the psalm? We're going to get to it. It is the way that we process with the good shepherd the hurts and the pains and the losses that we have. The psalm begins, make God your Lord, let Jesus be your shepherd, you will lack nothing. And then there are five more verses that explain what it is like to live in a world without lack before a Jesus who loves you and takes you safely even through death itself. That's where we're going in the psalm. The opposite of what the world offers us. Um, By the way, um, if you go and read Psalm 23, I really hope you will this summer and maybe get the Philip Keller book. We haven't got time this morning, but read John 10. And by the way, I preached on John 10 a little, little while ago in this series on reset. You see Jesus picks up Psalm 23 and he says, I am the good shepherd. He also says he's the gate. He talks about the thief that comes in to steal and rob. If we have false lords and we let them in and what they do with us. It's a wonderful passage to read alongside it to understand who Jesus is as the shepherd. But a couple of things to close here. Um, Mark 10. Sorry, poor guys on the AV. I changed the running order this morning. Um, Did that thing of 
I'm actually not giving you most of my talk this morning. I just felt the Lord say, just live out of Psalm 23. So they're trying to keep up with me at the back. So well done, team. Go through the New Testament and look for some of the stories of people that encounter Jesus. And he goes right to the heart of what their life is about and what they desire and what they lack. Do you remember the story of the rich young ruler? And it's a young man who comes to Jesus and he asks the question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He's been, he's been, there's something about Jesus that's got his attention, that he, he's, he's drawn to. And there's a lovely bit in the passage um, where Jesus says, well, you need to obey the commandments and do this and do that. And the young guy says, I've done all this since I was a young man. And there's a stunning phrase where it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's there because the disciples were sitting around watching this interaction and they went, oh, he gave him the look. Jesus just gave him the look that he gave me. You remember Matthew? Jesus says, Matthew, come follow me. Matthew got the look. Nathaniel, Nathaniel, come follow me. Simon, come follow me. They knew that look from the shepherd. Oh, he got the love look. I've been reading this passage recently. And I felt like the Lord saying, Jason, do you want that look? The look where Jesus, Jesus right now is looking on you and me as sheep without a shepherd. And he's looking at us with love. Now with the rich young ruler, Jesus as he does. Jesus is not against money, by the way. There were some very wealthy people around Jesus funding ministry and doing things. Jesus is not against money per se. And we think this passage is about that. It's not. Jesus looks at the heart of this young man he loves and he says, there is something else in your life that is Lord more than me. And you could have so much of me. So here's what you need to do. All that stuff, the exit plan you have for your company that you plan on selling and retiring early and playing golf for the rest of your life. No offense to any golfers, by the way. Get rid of it all. Come follow me. Do you see that moment? Give up everything that protects you from lack and you will find I am the only thing that can protect you from lack. And I'll finish with my own confession in the hope that it will free you to make yours. Um, I've realized over this last year, as God's done the exposed in me, and wanted to, for me to explore this. I, I read Psalm 23 last summer and it stayed with me and John 10. And this issue of lordship. And one of the things the Lord spoke to me about is he said, Jason, you, one of your problems is envy. Envying other people. And it's been very painful to expose that root in my life for this reason. I can justify many things about my envy. I grew up in a family where I was systematically abused. From the earliest age I can remember till I left home. I had no family that helped put me through university or helped me when I got married or bought my first house or did anything. And you know what I, the Lord showed me? Every time, every time I hear from a friend, because I've reached an age, I'm 52. I know I don't look it, do I? What would you say? 62. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Jan. It's the mileage that counts. 
I've reached an age where my friends are starting to inherit from their parents. And I've been feeling something in here that taps into my childhood. Oh, wish I had that. I had to work so hard when I was young, so hard as a youth, I'm never going to inherit anything. And oh, did, did the Lord get his rod out and smack me on the head hard for that one? Literally. He went, really? I've had to repent. I say, Lord, I lack nothing. You rescued me from that. You gave me a life and a purpose. And Lord, if I had nothing else in life than you, I 